Association, and uh, he's here today to encourage us as a church family, but on Saturday he was here to do a training session with our leaders, and he talked about leadership, and it was a phenomenally well-received uh, little seminar yesterday, and we really appreciate David. He was here last year, some of you might remember, and it's a joy to have him back, and let's welcome David McFarland. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Thank you. Amen. Really good to be here. It's wonderful to be back in Living Stones. I admire your pastor greatly. He's a really good guy, and you're very fortunate to have him. <laughs> Amen. It's true. It's true. If I move this, I think I'll be able to see the screen. Wonderful. Thank you very much. That's great. My name is David McFarlane. I was born in South America. When I lived there, my name was David McFarlane. Sounds Italian, doesn't it? Uh, I lived in Argentina. When you go to Argentina, they, you go through security. And, and if they look to see if you have a gun. And if you don't have a gun, they give you one. <laughs> How many of you here this morning want your faith to be authentic? You want your faith to be real, deep, meaningful. You want to, it to be an enthusiastic faith. You, you want it to be an attractive faith. How many of you, would, that's, what, that's what you'd like? Yeah, that's right. Well, Jesus was asked once what people's faith should be like. And Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, says these words. And uh, he says this. He says, reading from verse 37, it says, uh, he answers a man, he says, how do we please God? And this is how Jesus answers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and prophets, all of it, hang on these two commandments. So if we want our faith to be real, if we want our faith to be authentic, if we want our faith to be meaningful, we need to realize that Jesus is calling us to love him. It says, with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind, calling us to a, a passionate faith, to a real faith, passionate faith. I had pastored a church, and I had the privilege of working with a senior pastor called David Sturry. He loved revivals, and he heard that there was a revival in Florida, so he and his wife Irene went down to Florida to where God was moving because he was a man of faith, a real, authentic Christian. And he was there lined up to this revival service. And they handed everybody a piece of paper. And the piece of paper said this. Would you indicate which of these two applies to you? They had two boxes. The first one, I am on fire for Christ. The second one said, I am backslidden. And my friend, who's a good man, said, David, I looked at the piece of paper and I realized that while I love God, I am not on fire for Christ. I, have, I know what it is to be on fire for Christ, but at this moment, I'm not there. But then I looked at the other box and I thought, well, wait a minute, I'm not backslidden either. He said, I was looking for the third box. There isn't a third box. God has called us to live a passionate faith. A faith that is real, that is authentic, to love him with all our, all our heart and all our mind, all our soul. And that's the kind of faith I want to live, and I'm sure that's the kind of faith that you want to live. Now, the challenge, the challenge is that it's not easy to do. In the Old Testament, in Second Chronicles, chapter 25, there is this passage 
which I read some years ago, and I'm going to read it to you now. It says this, Amaziah, that was the name of a king, Amaziah, they probably call him Ami for short, just track with me, okay? Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years, and his mother's name was Jehadin. She was from Jerusalem. And then this is how the Bible records the life of this king. This is his epitaph. This is what God puts on his tombstone. It says this, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. He was a believer. He went through the motions and the tragedy is that I can do that, and you can do that. We're Christians, and it becomes so familiar that we put our faith on automatic pilot, and, and it becomes ho-hum, ho-hum. I go to some churches that are so boring, and you know, so ho-hum, that, that my foot goes to sleep, and the rest of my body gets envious. Okay. And we can become, I, I can become that kind of Christian, and I don't want to be that kind of Christian. I don't want to be like a king of Isaiah. If he were alive today, he'd be in this church. He would serve in Sunday school. He would give his tithes and offerings. He, you know, he would appear at all the prayer meetings, and he'd be there. But in his heart, he was not giving himself all to it. But not wholeheartedly. Always holding back. Always never giving God everything. Not really loving God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind. And I want to be not like King Amaziah. I want to love God passionately, as you do too, as you do too. In the book of, of Romans, the Apostle Paul, writing this book, now Romans, you know, is written, is one of the most significant books in the New Testament because it's written about the doctrines of our faith, what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And Paul wrote it, and he's writing this significant document. And all the way through the document, he tells us what to believe, but he also tells us how to apply it. Because the truth is, what we know isn't as important as what we live. I'm getting older, and I don't want more information. I want more transformation. I don't want to stay the way I am. I want to grow. Don't you? And I want my faith to, as I get older, become more authentic, more real, more attractive, more enthusiastic, and certainly more passionate. I hope you do too. And Paul says this, and he's speaking to leaders like you and me this morning, and he says this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. He's saying if there's one thing that matters in life, is this. Never be lacking in zeal. Don't let your zeal, God, go down. Never. The word never comes from a Greek word, which means never. <laughs> never be lacking in zeal. Zeal means passion. It means it's the idea of keeping water at boiling point. Passionately. And that's the kind of faith I want to, to have, and I'm sure you do too. And then it says, keep your own spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I went to a printing shop once. It had a sign. It said, employees not fired with enthusiasm will be fired with enthusiasm. <laughs> and I want to be the enthusiastic type. There was an old bishop, an Anglican bishop, who had a dream. And in this dream, this old bishop was preaching to his congregation. And he woke up, and he was... He went to sleep in the middle of his own sermon. Okay. I hate it when I have to explain jokes. It's, okay. okay. And I don't want to be like that. Neither do you. Neither do you. So the key is, how do we do this? What difference does passion make in my faith and in my life? I'd like to, to look at a few things that, that show the benefit of having a faith that is what Paul says, zealous 
faith. Number one, that when we have a passion for God, you know, we can do all sorts of things for God. Now, I want you to know that you can have this kind of passion. You might say, well, I'm reserved, or, you know, I'm not an outgoing type of person. That's got nothing to do with it. If the Bible says you can be zealous, then you can be zealous, and certainly more zealous than you are, and that's true of me too. I remember meeting a man called Brother Edgington. That's how we knew him, Brother Edgington. Brother Edgington, when I met him, was in his 80s. He was a youth pastor in his 80s, in his 80s. He was actually a businessman, and every month, all his life, like 60, 70 years, he, all his life, he'd rented a high school gym in Paris, Ontario, and he would, he would invite all the local kids to come, and they would come once a month, and he would, they'd play games, he'd show movies, and it was all about Jesus Christ. He was a man of faith. He did it all his life. At first, he was a father that some of these kids never had. Then he was a grandfather. Then he was a great-grandfather. And I remember this old man, passionate about his faith. Here he is, well into his 80s. And, and he's still having meetings with all these kids, and the kids loved him. And he said to me, David, you need to know that 43 people are in full-time ministry that came to Christ in my meetings over the years. What a legacy. It has nothing to do with age. Nothing. In fact, the older I am, the, I hope the more passionate my faith will become. But also the second thing is that there's a huge benefit to having passion. When I lived in Uruguay, where I grew up, where I was born, in Uruguay, there's a, there's a factory that makes uh, molded uh, metal, molten metal. And so this tourist is in the factory, and he's taking a tour of the factory, and the, the, guys, the guide is showing him how they have big buckets made of a very special ceramic that can expand and contract with heat, a very special one. And they picked up, the bucket is picked up by a conveyor belt, and it's taken into, into a place where metal is put in it, brass or bronze, and it's taken into a furnace where it is heated up to thousands of degrees. And then it comes out the other side and it automatically pours into molds. And the man taking the guy on the tour shows him a bucket. The bucket was there. It had just been used. It was still red hot from being used. And the guy said, this is a special ceramic that doesn't crack. It can expand and contract. Look at it. He takes a sledgehammer and he hits a red hot bucket as hard as he can. Cling! Doesn't scratch it, doesn't dent it, nothing. A little while later, they're on the other side of the factory. And on the other side of the factory, there's another bucket, just like the first one. But this one's cold, hasn't been used. He says, look at this. He picks up a stone, tosses it at the bucket, and it shatters. Then he says this. When it's hot, nothing can even scratch it. But when it's cold, the smallest thing will shatter it. I found that true of the Christian faith. When we're hot, when we're close to God, when our faith is real and authentic and attractive and passionate, people can say things to us and about us, and it doesn't affect us. It just washes off. But when I'm cold, the smallest thing people say offends me and hurts me, and I start grumbling and complaining. We need to be Christians, like the hot bucket, passionate about our faith. Now you look at history. History has been changed by passionate people. Passionate people, for good or for bad. Passionate people have started revolutions. Passionate people have brought revival. It's never happened with ho-hum people. No. No ho-hum people ever did that. Every Olympic medal has ever been won has been won by people whose faith, whose, whose sport means everything to them. 
that the others don't win. I want to be the kind that wins, and so do you. So do you. If I'm the way I am, it's because a guy mentored me when I was 23. I, I was not a Christian, not brought up in a Christian home. We were Scotch Presbyterian, but my father preferred the Scotch to the Presbyterian. I wish that wasn't a joke. And so, so at 23, I was in a church like you are this morning, thinking, is there a God? I was not a church-going person. Is there a God? Could I find forgiveness? Could I find peace in my life? And, and I was sitting there just like you, and I heard the, that there is hope in Christ. I heard somebody say John 10.10, which says, Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. And the problem is that most people don't turn to Jesus. They don't realize that he has an abundant life for us, a meaningful, a fulfilling, a peace-giving life. And they look everywhere else for answers. And so that was me. I was sitting there thinking, well, I've tried everything else, and I've got something missing. Maybe there is peace. And I was sitting there like you, and somebody gave me an invitation and said, if you start praying, if you begin a prayer right where you are this morning, and, and you pray and say, God, I, I confess my sins. I want to get to know you. I want to, to grow. I want to become a follower of yours. Your life can change. God comes into your life. You become his friend. And so I, I had nothing to lose. I was sitting there, and I, I prayed a prayer. And I'm going to give you a chance before the end of the service to say, God, I, I want to begin that relationship with that prayer transformed me, turned my life in a totally different direction, like you saw Ross on the screen just a few moments ago. And so this guy discipled me, and, and if I have any passion, I caught it from him. And so now I'm the one who has to pass it on to others. So passion comes from you, and it's catching, and it's contagious, and it's exciting. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. I remind you to fan into flame... Paul loved Timothy, the son in the faith. And he says, I remind you, to fan into flame. He was concerned that Timothy's passion would go down. And so he says, I remind you. Why is he reminded? Because we forget. We need meetings like this one. Where we're reminded to fan into flame. Fan into flame. That passion you once had, that it'll be rekindled this morning. That you would leave here different than you came. Exciting. God does want to do that in your life. He wants to meet with you this morning. He really does in a fresh way to take you to a next level in your faith. And if you haven't got faith, to begin that wonderful journey with Jesus. Now you say to me, David McFarlane, how do we get this passion? Well, I'm glad you asked me. I have seven things from the passage in Romans that I think will help us. So let's look at this verse. Romans 12, verse 9. This is a passage I'm going to talk from. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And in those verses, I believe we have a number of keys to help us to live the kind of life that you and I want to have, a passionate faith, authentic, attractive. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're doing okay, eh? Okay. Okay. Number one is to rejoice in our salvation. I lose my passion when I take the cross of Christ for granted, my Christianity for granted, where it becomes just a social club. I lose my passion when I do that. How many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ, the movie? Anybody? Anybody seen The Passion of the Christ? Well, Mel Gibson invited me to go to... to L.A., 
to Icon Studios to meet him and to watch the preview. And 12 other leaders from Canada, we went to meet Mel Gibson and see the movie. After the Passion of the Christ, we see Jesus crucified. It, was, it really impacted us. And some of us in the group said, we're never going to take communion the same. We see that, that following Christ does not cost us anything. It's a free gift that we receive that we don't deserve. But it costs Jesus everything. And so if it cost him that much, how should I then live? In New York, there was a pastor I knew, and he spoke a message. And, and the message he gave was one of hope, which I hope I'm giving you, that God loves you, that God is, wants you to live a, a life he wants to take you to the next level. And in the crowd was a man, a pilot, who'd been divorced and had a horrible divorce and, and a fighting and miserable situation. And this pilot was there in the crowd, like maybe you are this morning, maybe your life's altogether though, but, but his wasn't. And this, this airline pilot prayed to receive Christ, says, I'm going to give you an opportunity before the end of this me message. And his life began and, he, and changed. And a few years later, he went to Israel on a tour. Pastor Paul takes tours to Israel on a regular basis. And, and he went to Israel with a pastor and a group. And he, they were there in, in Bethlehem. And, uh, and, and the pilot was sitting on a rock looking over the, the Bethlehem where the baby was supposed to be born. And, and the pastor goes and see him, and the pilot is crying, tears streaming down his face. And he said to Bill, what's wrong? And Bill said, nothing's wrong. I was looking there at where Jesus was born, wondering what would have happened if he had never been born. What would my life be like? Because since finding Christ, I have found a peace and a forgiveness and a meaning and a sense of purpose that I never had. We need to look back at the cross and say, God, if you did that for me, I want to live with everything I've got for you. The second thing that I find, oh, by the way, the verse was Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere, must be real. And Jesus said, love is, of course. Number next, number next, is resist compromise. I find that, that I lose my passion when I allow things to creep into my life that I shouldn't have in my life, that I know better of. The Bible calls them sins. And I let them in. And when I let them in, I lose my passion. It tells us in that verse, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. There was a, a man many years ago that was flying a little plane, little airplane. And it was one of these airplanes way back, a hundred years ago, made of canvas and, and wood and, and ropes, made of rope. I'm a great communicator. Ropes made of rope. And so, so they're flying this plane. The plane had, was empty, just a prototype. I mean, you're talking a long time ago. And he's flying this little plane across a big body of water, and suddenly he hears a noise. Yak, 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 yak. I do my own sound effects. Okay. Yak, 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 yak. He looks back in the fuselage, and at the back there's a rat. A rat. A big, juicy rat. Juicy. Okay. Okay. Juicy rat. And the rat is eating at one of the ropes that holds the, the, the plane. And he realizes that if he lets a rat eat through that rope, he's going to lose control of the plane. And he's going to dive and he's going to die. But he can't let go of the controls to run to the back of the plane to kill the rat. Because if he does that, no automatic pilot, and the plane will flip and he's dead. What's he going to do? He remembers he has an oxygen tank. 
So he grabs a mask and puts the oxygen on, and then he pulls a little plane, and the plane starts going as high as high as it can until the oxygen gets less and less and less and less. And slowly the nose at the back goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's no oxygen, and the rat dies. Then he lands the plane safely. Rats are all around us. Temptations are everywhere, on television, on the internet, in neighborhoods, everywhere. And sometimes we invite the rats onto our plane. Sometimes they seem to sneak in and catch us unaware. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's that when it comes to passion, that when I look at Jesus and get as close to him as I can, with my Bible reading, with my prayer, as I get to close to, there's less oxygen for sin to live in my life. I saw a big statement, a billboard once on a highway, and it was for motor oil. It said this, a clean engine delivers the most power. And I want my life to be a clean engine so that it delivers the most power, that I can have the power and the passion. And you want that too. So how do you do it? Well, the good news is that that the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. God is able to forgive. God wants to forgive. But we have to first repent. We have to turn to say, God, I need you. I, I want, don't want this in my life. Ask for, and God will set you free. The Bible says of the Son will set you free, you shall be free indeed. And this morning, some of you can pray. And some of you can begin to get rid of that rat that's gnawing away and can destroy your life. And you can leave here. I'm not going back into bondage. I'm going to live a complete, a fulfilling, a successful life with passion. God loves you. Number three is I find that when I have problems in relationships, Problems in relationships, it takes away my passion. When I have anger against people or bitterness against people, it takes away my passion. We need to renew relationships. It says here in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. There was a couple. I live in Waterloo, Ontario, and now I have lived in BC and all sorts of places, but I'm living there now. And, and there's a farmland, lots of farmland. And there was this couple, they'd had a fight. And, and I, of course, you never had a fight. But they'd had a fight and they were driving, they'd been to their in-laws. Yeah, now we're connecting. Yeah. Been to the in-laws and they had a fight and they were driving in icy silence. They, they, they were angry at each other, driving along, driving along. And as they're driving along, they pass a, a, a field. In the field is a donkey and the Man in frustration points at the donkey and says to the wife, relative of yours? And she says, yes, by marriage. <laughs> the issue is we need to keep short accounts. We cannot afford to hold bitterness. We need to turn to God. And maybe you want to do it this morning before you leave here. Why, why waste your time in church? You could meet with God this morning in a fresh way and say, God, I want to forgive that person. I was brought up in an abusing home, alcoholic home, so I, I wrestled with these issues myself. God is able to say, let go and move on and do so. That regains your passion. 
So we've seen then that we, we need these three things, right? And now number four, number four, is we need to respond with zealous service. I find that when I think of only myself, and it's all about me, 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 and my family, and my needs, and me, and me, and me, I lose my passion. The smallest package in the world is somebody all wrapped up in themselves. And so here it tells us in verse 11 that we read, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. How? Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. When I start serving others unselfishly, it makes a difference. I learned to serve when I came to Christ at 23. The guy that discipled me said to me after two weeks after my own conversion, when I came to Christ, he said to me, I want you to start teaching Sunday school next Sunday. I, what did I know? I'd just known Christ two weeks. Next Sunday. He gave me David C. Cook material, put me in, in a Sunday school class with six and seven-year-olds. I had no idea. I didn't know one end of the Bible from the other. I didn't know what it was. Didn't know it started in generation, finished in revolution. Had no idea. I thought an epistle was the wife of an apostle. Yeah. And, and so, so I started studying like mad. I didn't have a prayer life, but now I did. Oh, my goodness, did I have a prayer life. Help! Which is still my favorite prayer. And, and, pray. and so I started teaching little kids, thinking, what in the world do I know? I'm trying to tell them about this Jesus I've just encountered. What do I know? I started to serve. And you know, since then, I've served in church all my life. I've served as a deacon, as an usher. I've served, you know, helping stack chairs and tables, all of those things. But it started with that meeting, making a difference, teaching Sunday school. You know, how can it give you passion? Well, let me tell you. Just a couple of years ago, Samaritan's Purse invited me to do leadership training of all their Latin American leaders. And they flew me and my wife down to Buenos Aires, Argentina, where I grew up, there. And uh, I was teaching in the Howard Johnson Hotel leadership training for three days for all their Latin American leaders. They flew in from Peru, Bolivia, Brazil, all over. Okay. My wife, Diana, went down too, and Diana's from Argentina as well. She was touring while I was teaching. She met a lady called Sarah, who's a principal of a school. And when the lady found out that Diana's called Diana McFarlane. She said, are you related to a David McFarlane? That's me. And my wife reluctantly admitted <laughs> that she'd married me. And then Sarah said this to Diana. She said, would you tell David that I was a little girl of six in his Sunday school class? Would you tell him that I gave my life to Christ in his class? Would you tell him that I'm still following Jesus? Would you tell him that I'm now teaching Sunday school to tell others about Jesus like he told me? You know, that one story puts my whole life in perspective. Yeah, I've spoken in stadiums. I've seen thousands respond. It's not about numbers. It's about the fact that, that when we choose to serve, God can use us to change lives for eternity. If that doesn't give you passion, have a heart check. Wow. And so then we see number five. Number five is return to spiritual disciplines. Sometimes in my spiritual life, and maybe in yours too, we, we, we just get so busy, don't we? We don't read the Bible, we don't pray, we don't go to meetings, and we're running on empty. And it's like the guy that pulls up to the gas station with his car on empty, and he puts in $2 worth of gas and then keeps going. And there are times where we've got to stop and say, God, I, I want to spend time with you. I want to refill my tank. Return to spiritual disciplines. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. There was a, 
there was a girl, a young girl, and this young girl uh, read a book. And the book was the most boring book she'd ever read. Have you ever read a boring book? Anybody ever? Yeah, I have. She didn't finish the book. It was so boring, she took the book and she put it in her bookcase, never finished the book. Well, about a month later, she goes to a party, and this beautiful single girl at the party looks across and sees a young man. And the young man is just knight in shining armor. I, my wife and I have three daughters. I've seen enough chick flicks to know how love really works. And so she goes outside and the party and sits down with this man. And oh, he's so handsome. And so they've, like, they've known each other all their lives. And she falls madly in love with this guy. Then she asks him, What do you do? He says, I'm an author. <laughs> what did you write? <laughs> She's smart. She goes, Oh. She gets home at 2 in the morning, runs to her bookcase, pulls out the book. And uh, now she looks at the book again. But this time, the book is so well written. <laughs> the, such a command of the English language. <gasps> what incredible thoughts. <gasps> Amazing book. What was the difference? Same book. Just as she had fallen in love with the author of the book. If we want to regain our passion, we have to fall in love again with the author of the book. Not read it because we're obliged to, but read it because our Savior wants to talk to us and speak to us and help us and comfort us, give us peace, give us wisdom, and change our lives through the power that's in this book. That's how we regain our passion. Number six is to reach out to others. I find that when I just stay in my little circle in my comfort zone, I don't take any risks for God, I lose my passion. I lose it right away. It tells us here, verse 13, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Reach out to others. My favorite story, and I have many, but my favorite story of reaching out to others is from a, a pastor again in New York City. And this pastor in New York City is speaking in an evening service. And he's a guest speaker, by the way, at that church. And there's the, somebody, an usher, comes and knocks on the door of the pastor's office where the pastor and this, this guy, the guest speaker, are and says, there's a guy outside who wants to see you, but he's a little bit drunk. Would you see him? And this guest speaker says, sure. So in comes this drunk, beard, you know, disheveled, eyes bleary, head set in hand grenades, hair set in hand grenades, and got vomit on his clothes and smell of urine and, 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 and alcohol, bright red nose from alcohol. And he comes in and he leans on the desk so he doesn't stumble. And he said, did you mean what you said? You said, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone... And the guy, the pastor says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new had come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. The guy said, yeah, that. Is it possible that God could take somebody 
Is it possible that God could accept somebody? Is it possible that there's hope for somebody like me? The pastor was able to tell him what I'm about to tell you. God specializes in taking broken people like me, like you. When we turn to him to give us a healing of heart and spirit that you can't find anywhere else. So the, the guy says, okay, what do I need to do? And so the pastor tells him what I'm about to tell you. You just need to begin prayer and say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I made mistakes. We all have. We're all sinners, in fact. We all need his forgiveness. So God, I ask you to forgive me my sins. I repent. I want to change, but I can't do it on my own. I need your help. And Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. You died on the cross, buried, rose again. I want to begin a relationship with you this morning. So this evening it was. And so the guy prayed this prayer and said, is that it? Is it that easy? Haven't I got to do something? And they said, no. That's the whole point. There's nothing that God wants us to do other than accept the gift of his forgiveness. Just like at Christmas time. Under the tree there's a gift with your name on it. And, and it's yours. It's free. Nobody's charging you for a gift. But it's no use if you leave the gift unopened. If the gift has your name on it and it's there under the tree and you don't open it and you just keep on living with that gift, then you don't benefit at all. The gift is like you chose not to receive it. And it's the same with God. God has given us forgiveness, given us love, and we can know him. We can have this passion that we're talking about. But we've got to do something about it. And it's nothing we can do to earn it. We just need to receive it as a free gift. And so how do you do that? Well, like that man did in that room prayed. And you can pray in a few minutes. I'll give you an opportunity to pray. Well, the story doesn't finish there. The drunk leaves the office. Many, many years later in Atlanta, Georgia, this, this guy I know was speaking at a big conference in the Peachtree Plaza Hotel, big fancy hotel. When I was an executive with American Express, I used to stay at the Peachtree Plaza. Now I stay at Motel 6. And so suddenly he gets a phone call, and the, and the phone call is from this guy who says, I saw that you were speaking here. Uh, I met you in New York City. I now live in Atlanta. I'm in the lobby. Will you see me? And it was a drunk from New York. The drunk now lived in Atlanta. So the guy says, I'll see you. And so he gets into the elevators, and he goes down, and Peachtree Plaza's got a beautiful atrium. And then the doors open, and he looks for the drunk in the big lobby. But there's no drunk in the lobby. Instead, there's a young man with a young woman, and the young man singing at the top of his lungs, got two little girls following. At the top of his lungs, the man is singing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. God specializes in helping us, lifting us up, healing, forgiving, restoring, setting us free, but we've got to respond to him. He just asked for response. This man responded. Years later, the same pastor got a letter in the mail. Many, many years later. And the letter said, Dear Pastor, my dad died today. On his deathbed, he asked us to write to you, my sister and I. We were little girls when we met you in Atlanta. We, he said, tell the pastor, thank you for telling him about Jesus. Then she said, but my sister and I want to thank you also. Because of you and because of that moment when he prayed to ask Jesus to life in New York, he became a wonderful dad 
to my sister and I, a good husband to our mom, a pillar of the community, a successful businessman, and a wonderful Christian. That's why I travel the country to speak to people like you. That's why you belong to a wonderful church like this, because we serve a God who is not, does not care. He cares so much for us that he wants us to reach out to him. And maybe this morning is when you can get to know him for the first time. Or maybe you wandered away from God and God is saying, I've got better for you. And he's welcoming you back. He's reaching out to you. I hope you respond. And then finally, number seven, is that revival is always personal. You remember how we started this message talking about 2 Chronicles 25, about King Amaziah, and how God records the life of Amaziah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but never wholeheartedly. He was just going through the motions, like the Pharisees. Well, this is what Jesus responds. This is what Jesus responds to people about John the Baptist. This is how Jesus records the life of John the Baptist. He's asked, what about John the Baptist? And this is how it says. This is his epitaph. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I want God to remember me that way. You want God to remember you that way. Mary, she was a lamp that burned and gave light. Her, light, her faith was authentic. It was real. It was attractive. And, and you it chose for a time to enjoy that light. People that are passionate about their faith are actually nice people. They are fun to be with. Obviously not this crowd. <laughs> but they are. Revival is personal. A guy called, called um, Dio Moody was a young man. He, he gave his life to Christ at 19 in a shoe store in, in, in Chicago. And he went to hear a speaker, one of the first speakers he heard. And this speaker spoke to him. And he was a young man. He was sitting there like yourself. And, and the speaker said this. The world has yet to see what God can do through a man totally sold out to Jesus. And as he walked down the streets of Chicago that evening, this young man looked up to God and had a prayer. A prayer like you can say to this morning. God, I want to be that man. And maybe that's you. God is saying to you, I love you. I've got great plans for you. Come on board. Come on board. Rekindle that passion. Well, how do we powered by a passion for God? Well, let me slowly wrap up. First, I want to just make two announcements. One is that on Monday, that's tomorrow, 7 o'clock at Red Deer, no, at Deer Park Alliance Church, I'm doing a free seminar on how to share your faith with the My Hope with Billy Graham, and it's got three new DVDs, and, and it's training on how to share your faith. If you have the time tomorrow night, Monday at 7 o'clock, whatever I said, Deer Park, please come and bring some friends with you. The training is free. It's different than we did before. It's new stuff, and I hope you want to come. The second is that I have a book to sell at the back, uh, and it's just got additional teaching. It's called Ignite Your Life, Living for Significance, and it sells for $15. It's at the back, and uh, it's got people that have endorsed it, like people like David Wells, the PAOC guy, Mark Hughes, Charles Price, Luis Palau, have endorsed the book. 
It's a book that's helped a number of people rekindle their life. It's based on Mark chapter 2 called Ignite Your Life, $15. I'd be happy to sign it for you if you'd like to pick it up at the lobby. You helped me and support my ministry, and I'd appreciate that. Okay, so what have we actually learned? And here we're going to go to the wrap-up. Number one, we talked about rejoice in your salvation. So I want us to take a moment to think. Maybe that's you. I don't want you to leave the way you came for your sake, not mine. Maybe you want to respond and say, God, I want to start concentrating on what the cross and what Jesus means to me. And if you love me that much, I need to live passionately for you. Number two, resist compromise. Maybe you're hooked on something, pornography or drugs, or I don't know. But God specializes in setting people free of healing broken people like me and you. Maybe this morning you don't want to leave this building, but you want to maybe come forward and we'll give an invitation for people to respond. You don't have to respond, but maybe you'd like to respond so that you go forward and you see for yourself that you mean business with God. I've come forward in meetings like this myself a number of times, and each one of them has been one more step of moving closer to God and moving on and growing in my faith. So maybe you want to respond this morning. If you've got some area in your life, you just want to pray with someone. You don't have to tell them what it is, but you want to see, I want to get victory in that area of my life. Third, renew relation. Maybe you've had issues with somebody who's knifed you in the back. And I've had, I've got scars too. And you're carrying a grudge and, and, and you're the one who's losing out because you're not enjoying life. But this morning you can say, God, I want your help to let go of that thing, to move on with my life. I don't want to live in the past. I want to live in the future. And I want victory in this area of my life. I let go. It, you might want to start that this morning. Then respond to opportunity to serve. Maybe you quit serving for one reason or another. Maybe God is saying, you know, I've given you gifts. Start using them. Maybe you want to volunteer for something. Number five, return to spiritual disciplines. Maybe you've been not praying as you'd like to, not reading the Bible as you'd like to, and just say, God, give me a new hunger for your word. Don't want to read it out of obligation. I want to read it because I love you. Number, ne number next is uh, uh, reach out to others. Maybe you've been hiding your faith and you just say, God, I want my faith to be so attractive that people are going to ask me about my faith and I'll be able to share with them. That's why you need to come tomorrow if you possibly can for the training. And then revival is personal. I don't know about you, but I want to live a revived life. I want my passion to be real. I want Jesus to remember me like John the Baptist. So I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with this. Dear Moody, the guy I mentioned a few moments ago, uh, told a story that I, I've never forgotten. It's been a help to me many times. The story is in Glasgow, Scotland, which, by the way, when my grandfather was born in Glasgow, Scotland. And uh, in Glasgow, Scotland, this guy, Moody, lived 100 years ago. And in Glasgow, Scotland, there was this, this girl, and she was brought up in a Christian home, and she had a wonderful Christian mother and a wonderful Christian dad. They would play hymns on the piano, and they would sing hymns, and they, they were a happy, happy home. But the father died of a heart attack at work at a young age, and the girl rebelled. She got angry at God. God, why did you do this to me? She got angry. She rebelled against her mother, against her Christian teaching. And eventually, when she got to be 16, she ran away from home, got in with the wrong crowd, never went back home, got into alcohol, became an alcoholic, became a prostitute in the cities of, streets of Glasgow. In her 20s now, she is on a bridge at about 3 in the morning, standing on a bridge over the Firth of Forth, I think it was a river, I don't even know it was, but it was a river. And as she's standing on the bridge, she's about to throw herself off the bridge and kill herself because she knows what she's doing with her life, with the sex she's had with all these men and, and the diseases she's got. And, and she was born and brought up to know better 
and she's an alcoholic, and she's so disgusted with herself and so crippled by her sin and so caught in this trap that she thinks the only solution is to throw herself off the bridge and kill herself. As she's about to kill herself, she suddenly remembers the happy memories of home, how she used to sing around the piano, and her mom and dad loved her, and she remembers the laughter in the house and the peace. So she decides that before she kills herself, she'd go once back to the house to have a look, one last look at the happy memories, and then she'll kill herself. So she staggers through the streets of Glasgow on her way back through the old neighborhood, three in the morning. She gets to the old neighborhood, and she recognizes the house, and to her shock, the front door is open, and the inside porch light is on. And she sobers up and thinks, no, somebody's broken into the house. Somebody's robbing the house. She runs into the house and says, mother, mother, mother. The mother gets out of bed, comes running down the stairs, sees her daughter, says, Jeannie, Jeannie, I love you. And she hugs the, the, the daughter, cries on the door, I love you, I love you. The daughter said, Mother, didn't you see that the door, front door, you left it open and the inside hall light was on? And the mother said this, you need to know that that door has been open and that light has been on since the day you left. It's a picture of God. It's a picture of the story of the prodigal son. God knows where we're at, but he loves us so much that if you're willing to come back to him, the door is open and the light is on. He wants to welcome you back. I'm going to invite you to stand if you would be so kind. I'm going to invite the orchestra to come back with the choir and all that. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes in prayer. I want to thank you so much for coming. You've been a wonderful audience, even laughing occasionally at my crummy jokes. So let's just take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, you love us so, so much. You died on the cross for us. But Lord, in a crowd like this, there might be one person here who's never began that journey with Jesus. I know what that was like. I was 23, struggling, maybe just as they are this morning. But Lord Jesus, my prayer is, that they will say, I'm willing to pray. I'm willing to begin that relation. I'm willing to take, to respond. Everyone Jesus called, he called publicly. Maybe we're going to give an invitation for people to come forward in a moment. I, as others come forward, I pray that if you're giving life to Christ for the first time, that you might want to slip out of your seat and come down to the front. And, and there'll be people here who will simply pray with you and give you material to help you in this spiritual journey. This is a good church, an excellent church. But also, maybe in this crowd, there are people... God has spoken to this morning and you are, need to come back to him or you're struggling with an area with a relationship or, or hurt or some issue or maybe you just want to say God I want to rededicate myself to you this morning if God has spoken to you in some way this morning I invite you now to just get out of your seats and just come down to the front I know it takes courage to do this but that's what the Christian life is about it's about stepping out of the boat it's about taking a stand so I'm going to invite you to come right now. If you're here and you'd like to respond in some way, please slip out of the chair, and slip out of the seat, I guess it is, and just come forward. That's right. And if you've never committed your life, just, just come. Just start coming now. Don't wait till the end. Just start coming, just out of faith. And come stand at the front. And Pastor, I'm sure you have people that want to come. This has got to be a day of change. This is a day of the passion of God rekindling in the lives of people. I don't, want to, I don't know about you, but when I come to church, I don't want to leave the way I came. And maybe this is your moment. So I'm going to invite you to, to 
to swallow your pride and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I love you that much. Just take a moment. If God has spoken to you, just come forward. Just start at the back. Just slip out and say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I'm going to wait a few minutes. Pastor, you have people that can minister at the front. Could they come forward too? The, the minister people, ministry people. The altar workers. Oh, ho, ho. altar workers. Oh, okay. Very good. Will the altar workers please come? Is there anyone I'm missing that should be coming forward? I know it takes courage. I know it does. But that's what the Christian life's about. It's about taking a stand. And so I'm so grateful that you took the time to come this morning. So thankful that you're here. Um, let's just take a moment to pray. And the altar workers are going to start ministering to people. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you died on the cross for us. Lord, if you, you were naked on that cross, Lord, you took the shame and you did it because you love that much. What is it for us to respond in an altar like this in a comfortable church? But Lord, by doing it, we're making a statement to ourselves, to you, and even to the church that we are moving on with God. We're going to move to the next level. We're going to regain that passion. We're going to leave passionate about Jesus. Amen. Would the altar workers start praying? Please come down to the front and start ministering to people. I uh, want to thank you all so much, Pastor. I, I'm going to turn the service back to you, if I may. And thank you so, so much.